we interrupt this program to bring you Courage the Cowardly Dog Show, starring Courage the Cowardly Dog! Stupid dog! You made me look bad! Hello, everybody! This is John R. Dilworth, and the R stands for Rumpelstiltskin! So, John, how, how did you get into animation? With a pencil. <laughs> so, I mean, what school did you go to? Ah, if I give that uh, information, um, that school will get some notoriety, and they're not paying me. Okay, none that you will admit to. How did you get into anima animation, or art in general? With finger paints, man. Just answer the question. I don't know what you say. I don't know what you want to hear. Oh, the school. I attended the School of uh, Visual Arts in New York City. Mm -hmm. It was there as the first time I saw animation and I immediately fell in love with it. What animation did you see when you, while you were there? What end? The end of the course? Any animation, like, what inspired you? Oh, I, my brother and I have been watching, my whole family have been watching uh, the cartoons from the, the golden age of Hollywood cartoons. Mm -hmm. And the most the irrational of that bunch for me was Bob Clampett and Tex Avery. And, you know, I admired a few others as well. But that was amazing, that elasticity and the absurdity of behavior. I guess it affects, I guess that, uh, you know, with, with people who's, that have irrational behaviors, cartoons from that period really was a, was a special alchemy. Mm -hmm. It was like better than going to therapy. Just, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, in fact, there's an idea. Watch cartoons as therapy. I gotcha. What did you work on before Courage? I know he was in like a, a short before he was on Cartoon Network. Uh, I had made an independent film called The Chicken from Outer Space. It was black and white. And it just followed after The Dirty Birdie. And um, I was still paying off The Dirty Birdie. And I needed money to make this the chicken. So at the time, Fred Seibert, who was running this great program of shorts at Hanna-Barbera, when Hanna-Barbera was still running, um, uh, somehow through him, The Chicken, of, chicken from Outer Space uh, was pitched to all of these um, uh, executives over in California. And uh, they made it into, they funded it. So I was, made, I was able to make my independent film with some adjustments. Uh, and it and also turned into a pretty nice short. Um, and then eventually uh, developed into a series. And that's because of the great efforts of individuals like Linda Siminski and and Mike Lazo, I mean, people that were behind this program and behind my work. I mean, all these young artists today, I mean, it's really, it's an asset to have somebody, a champion, to find champions for your work, people with influence, of course, who get you. And then, of course, it helps also to have a very good attitude. Um, you know, I always, I always run into artists with interpersonal skills uh, that are uh, not really beneficial to their career. In, in Hollywood or in showbiz or in making cartoons, you know, cartoons is really what uh, a business anyway. Mm -hmm. And all business, like the United Nations, even people who de detest each other have to learn to get along. There's certain standards of behavior. See or no? So you're saying like you have to have a good attitude when you're in animation. 
you should have a good attitude dealing with human beings, period. <laughs> Unless they're just outright criminals and doing you harm. I mean, then there's no point. Just stay away, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, I'm not a behavioral uh, consultant. Wasn't there another short that Courage was in on, like, MTV? No. No, you're talking about Smart Talk with Raisin. And there was a early, it would be like an early bipedalist, you know, of, of the human being. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, there was a dog called Hamilton that appeared in that MTV uh, short. And I did mine a lot of that material, uh, and I put it into Courage. But uh, now that I think about it, it's a very good question, because um, I think about the inter interdependence of uh, previous art on future art. I mean, I, I'm, really, I'm really conscious of that, that there's these themes that come up in my work uh, that I, 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 I guess are part of the DNA of whatever Dilworth does. What are those themes? Like the three, there's always a three, for instance. Um, there's always a, like a, a female of some higher intelligence, but that's off somehow. A, a, a very unsympathetic male character. And then this, this third, you know, innocent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you were, so when you were d designing the three characters for Courage, like, was it always meant to be an elderly couple and a dog or did... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At the time when I was making, after, right after the Dirty Birdie, I needed to do something. I just felt compelled somehow to explore the American heartland myth of the farm in collision with this fantastic atomic age sensibility. You know, uh, and it was basically driven by aliens and UFOs and things like this. Uh, and so that nexus met at the chicken from outer space. And then also I have to, a big tribute goes to um, Nick Park, who at the time was doing the wrong trousers. And he had this great penguin, you know, in that, in that claymation short. And it was great because we were at both at the, at the Oscars at the same time. And he, and he won. He was sitting right next to me. And I was so, I was so proud for him. And uh, because his penguin was a, a, inspired my chicken in a lot of ways. And now I'm thinking even further how the arts from all around us, contemporary art even, huh? uh -huh. uh, get, sort of bleeds in, you know, like, like Ice Wall and Fukushima. Yeah, you're both influencing, influencing each other. I doubt I'm influencing him. <laughs> He's a genius. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you spend enough time with someone else, you're bound to influence them somehow. Oh, let's not. Yeah, that's that's tricky. Let's just see it in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you, you know, I guess if you're hanging out, hanging out with Genghis Khan, <laughs> you're going to start lopping people's legs off, right? <laughs> yeah. The Transformers will return after these messages. But first, this podcast is supported by Patreons who donated $100. The first is the Comic Analog Farm. On AnalogFarm.com, a comic about a ruined city stunted in growth after a tragedy, and characters are just living through it. It's very much embedded in 2000s hip-hop and animation culture. Read it on AnalogFarm.com. Our other sponsor is the arthouse film Standards and Musings. It's what the creator Haruko Please describes as a shoddily animated series 
series of shorts about self-hatred and surreal humor while descending into hell. It was made with $40 and can be watched with the links below. Support me by supporting them. We now return to the Transformers. So how did you uh, design, I mean, for courage? With a pencil. Huh? With a pencil, man. <laughs> well, I mean, how did you, like, what was the thought process when designing Courage? Um, the original, sh oh, the Courage series? Yeah. An evolution of the pilot. Um, uh, it was uh, my art director, um, Margaret Fry, uh, and I were exploring some it's very weird photorealism in Angry Cabaret, which was another short we did for MTV. And it had it was using a lot of uh, 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 photos as textures, and that style just kept evolving through the shorts we were doing, and even through Courage. Courage, the Chicken from Outer Space was a light version of what we were ultimately able to achieve on the series with Andrew Kovalt, who was my principal um, background guru at the time. Um, so it's photorealism, and that's really, really what I wanted. I mean, uh, my, my attitude from the beginning with this character and its world was cinema, mm -hmm. was, was cinematic. I remember like when I was seen it when I was younger, and I, I was just so confused with like, why are, these, why are there cartoons on top of these like real life photos of people? Oh, the photos, that's an old... Um, that's something I borrowed from um, Hitchcock and Truffaut and, uh, and even Scorsese. I mean, filmmakers that would put themselves in their own movies oh, yeah. as cameos. And it was also a way to honor the people that worked on the film. Mm -hmm. So even in my Sesame Street shorts, um, like Noodles and Ned, uh, I would put photographs of family or significant production people in the films. It was just something I've always been doing. How was working in uh, Sesame Street? It was a magical time. I was in just at the very end, so much like my life right now. I always feel like I'm just getting in at the very end of something. And um, Arlene Sherman, who had been the, uh, uh, the, the, the queen of the Sesame Street mystery of culture, she did all those animations. She, she was another supporter and champion of my work. And, you know, we were able to do some very nice preschool shows, hand-drawn, Noodles and Ned and Ace and Avery, also a collaboration with Cartoon Network. So, I don't know, it was, uh, it was great. It was just great, just great. I had a great time. Yeah. So with Courage, like, was it always intended to be a comedy and horror? Yeah, sure. I love horror. Love horror and sci-fi. I mean, my brother and I, we would, uh, we would get tremendous satisfaction and glee from plotting to scare our mother in any possible way. She was such an easy target. And, of course, we loved her and all. We didn't want her to have a heart attack. But <laughs> there's something just amazing to pop out behind a sofa in a dark room just as somebody's coming home from work, you know, and with yeah. false teeth and blood on your head. I mean, I don't know. It's like good stuff. You know, life is so terrifying. I guess the only way to survive, you have to be as scary as it is. I mean, did any, like, parents, like, write to you angry about, uh, about, uh, how scary the show was, Courage? They wouldn't, um, oh, 
probably a million emails, um, but they were grateful. They were more like we were scared to our wits, blah, 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 and thank you. I mean, what, like, what would you say is your favorite villain from Courage? Villain? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm really fond of Katz. He was the first. You know, he wasn't in the series. He was the first, Katz. I mean, and, and we used him so often. He, he appeared in, you know, in many, many cartoons as a villain. What about a Freaky Fred? Freaky Fred was a was a um, a sort of a pregnancy between my head writer David Stephen Cohen and I, uh -huh. um, and I was I was always in love with Dr. Seuss, and I wanted to make a cartoon that had rhyme in the whole thing. And David, of course, was he was in he was in head deep with Dr. Seuss uh, on some other projects, uh, and it was like it just happened. It was wonderful. And of, and of course, working with my, my writing team, you know, because I reproduced the termite terrace writings uh, model. We're getting all these, you know, very weird and, 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 and strange writers, uh, you know, personalities. And we would just mash up a, a premise until it, it, it fleshed itself out. It was so much fun. It was like we're nonstop laughing that writing department, just nonstop. Was there anything you were surprised that got through without being censored? All of them, I guess, because nowadays, I don't know what's happening. I mean, um, we just did it. I just did an automatic uh, pilot for another network with a horror comedy. And it's, I'm just surprised at the level of reception to horror comedy now. Mm-hmm as opposed to, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago. It's very, very conservative. So they, they don't care for your style as much? I don't know. Not this particular approach. It was a surprise. Oh, so, so they do like it or no? They did like it, but it was polarizing and confusing. <clears throat> so I don't even know if Courage would ever make the light of day today. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. But was there anything the... Anything that you could not get on Courage? No, we only had one incident where there was a, a concern about the color of uh, indigenous island people. Um, so we found a, a color that doesn't exist in humanity, purple. It's, uh, it's just a consideration for a marketplace. No big deal. Everything else is terrific. We had a terrific, terrific relationship. So they allowed everything you, you put in there and <laughs> there was no issues at all? No. Jay Bastian uh, was our, our, our executive in, in charge of the show, and he was very straightforward. I mean, if there was any hesitation, he, we, he would let us know. I mean, there's so minor concerns. All the changes we made, we made. If we made, they were minor, so minor. And Jay Bastian now, he's at Warner Brothers, but he's such a cartoon himself. I love that man. Mm -hmm. What was the inspiration for using CGI and two-dimensional animation in the series? In the series, my love of mixed media. Throughout the entire series, we were doing uh, live action, uh, stop motion, paper cutouts, mixed media. We, we used puppets. Um, we used live video footage. Um, we and CG just seemed like a, nat a you know just another medium to to use in the show. And the network again was great about it because I think that we integrated it 
the materials, the varying mediums, in a way that wasn't uh, unnatural. It felt, it, it, you know, it worked in. We made sure it, it felt like it could happen in this world. Yeah, I mean, the CGI for the Return the Sledge guy, that, that really added to the effect. Yeah, that was uh, that uh, King Ramses um, was designed by my brother Jim, my late brother Jim, and uh, we we did this kind of very strange. It looks like a video. There was uh, there was a great video on one time about some dog or something. It was it was music, and when he turned around, he was just flat. It was like I don't know. I guess it was in CG, but they handled him like he was paper. Anyway, that was a great. I just love that, and so we tried it there. And later we did a, a, a half, an ep, half an episode, I think we did in CG, where he goes into the computer. I think it was uh, Computer Courage or something like that. Well, oh, what was the inspiration for that computer that was always arguing with courage? Did you hate technology? Oh, oh yeah, Sal. It was a Hal at uh, um, Kubrick's 2001. It's just a... You know, uh, another a net sort of evolution of how. But as a as a crummy home computer like that. Yeah, of course. Weren't those the best computers? For me, they were best computers. Those first, those early late eighties, early nineties computers. <laughs> I mean, by now, I'm sure Courage would have just thrown him out or got him like an iPhone version of him. No, they're poor. <laughs> yeah. They live in the middle of nowhere. Coming right back, and this time things are going to be different. Is that a good thing? Coming up next, it's Courage the Cowardly Dog on Cartoon Network. Oh yeah, speaking of nowhere, like uh, there's all these fan theories about how nowhere is like either purgatory or hell or something. Is there? Have you seen any of these fan theories? Oh, I've got so many of those. I love them all. I love them all. I'm not going to become a stuffed shirt and tell somebody their theory is wrong or inaccurate. They're all correct. <laughs> Who's to say you can't look at artwork and say, ah, this is it? Well, it's open for interpretation, so, of, so that, that's acceptable. Of course. So what's the, do you have any movies or particular artists that inspired you? Well, we talked about Clampett and, and Avery, and there was Chaplin and Dali. Of course, Dali inspired uh, my short life in transition. Um, modern dance choreographers. I mean, any movies like for horror? Big cinema horror movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, because <laughs> I'm not a cinemaphile. Mm -hmm. I just love the. I'm an emotionalist, so. I like to experience something and then process it my own way. I'm, I was very, I was very bizarre about like that. I know my girlfriend, she's like this. She's, she, she follows filmmakers and everything. And, and I, I was always retarded about that. Mm -hmm. No. So, I mean, a good horror stands out as a good horror. No, you know, a good piece as a bad piece. Yeah. Yeah. Was there, would there ever, ever be a chance at a soundtrack to courage? We have been working, Jody Gray and Andy Ezrin, uh, composers, have been working with Warner Brothers and Cartoon Network for a decade trying to get a soundtrack out. And it just doesn't happen. I don't know why. 
I don't know why. I don't know. I think they just want to keep safe all all the original soundtracks because nothing that, that I don't know any single song that ever got out of Cartoon Network from any show. Like I just want the background music. Yeah, they're great. They're so great. Oh, I mean, I had the best time. One of my best part, the best parts of production for me was always the music with, with gray noise. Mm-hmm. Like, what was your favorite song from there? Oh, there's so many, but of course, King Ramses oh, yeah. and uh, and Doc Gerbil. <laughs> um, uh, let me see. Those are the first, those are the two that come out right away. And then, of course, uh, that that ridiculous jam at the end, at, over the end credits. I just love the uh, Tower of... Dr. Jalos. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that I wrote that when I was in Zagreb. And Jalos uh, in Croatian is, uh, tr- roughly translates into sorrow or sadness. And, um, and the tower in the cartoon is modeled after the old uh, tower in Zagreb. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, even where... Travel, you see, travel influences art, of course. I mean, that's, I guess that's kind of common. So how about the episode Mask? The Mask, that's another great one. I can't believe that got made. Yeah, how'd that happen? That I can't believe got made. I don't know. I don't know, and that was a two-parter. And I wrote that, I don't know how. I don't even know where I was when I wrote that. I mean, I remember seeing that on, they played that on Halloween night forever ago. They're great Halloween. They're great Halloween cartoons. But it's a shame that we have to, it's sort of like Courage is being ghettoized into this Hollywood, I mean, Halloween, you know, product. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, horror is good at any time, no? Yeah, well, I don't know. I guess people love, love the aesthetic of Halloween on certain times. Yeah, they get into a mood, right? A, a, a universal sentiment. So in, uh, in Mass, were they like, were the, were the rabbit and... Uh... Why, why, why remove the clothing of a beautiful thing? Okay, so you're not going to answer it? <laughs> What's the point then of trying to decipher true meaning or unintentional meaning in a thing? The most important thing is the effect upon the viewer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I don't want to know how things work. So you rather leave it open for interpretation. Art is that. I got you. How about the episode Last of the Star Makers? It's another great one. I love that one. I love especially when I, I, I was able to find, uh, and I forgot where I took that idea from. It may have been... A myth, a myth, but I don't even know from what, which, which culture, where the thing dies and becomes, oh, I know, it reminded me of narcissists. Um, it was the death of narcissists that bloomed the, the plant. And I think it was out of jealousy slain. And there's that little bit of red in the plant that symbolizes the blood of the lover. Anyway, it's that, that death brings a new life. That's, that's what inspired the, the last of the star makers. What was your favorite character to design? Oh, the hunchback was also, I think the hunchback was pretty, I liked him. I liked him. Somehow I wanted him to work. Yeah, you always draw your uh, eyes always like, 
in his sausage format? Well, some, yeah. And I think that came from, of course, uh, Picasso through the Dirty Birdie. And then it just continued on because um, the Dirty Birdie was such a, a strong influence during the late 90s. And, you know, and it just, it just moved right into courage. So what was your favorite episode, if I didn't already ask that? Uh, Did I ask that already? No, I don't think so. But, um, you know, it's hard to... They're all like my little children. I don't, you know, I don't know if you would ask a creator that they would say, oh, I like this one over this one. I don't know. They're all, they, all, they all have beautiful things about them that I, that I enjoyed. Was it true Ringo Starr was in an episode? No, no, that's just a, that was something circulated just for titillation. Oh, okay. I wish, it, I wish we did get Ringo Starr. That would have been a gas. However, Thea White, who voices Muriel, her husband was the original Beatles drummer. Oh. So and look it up. Uh, so the fifth Beatle that quit. But he was the earliest, like the first, mm -hmm. before, I think, before Ringo. Right? Obviously. Yeah. It was gas. I met him, and he's such a gentleman. Little English mustache and everything. Just wonderful, wonderful. Everyone would, I keep hearing people say that Ringo Starr was in an episode, and, like, I keep looking on IMDb, and it's like, it's not there. Where None of these things sound like Ringo. They all sound like impersonations of Ringo. Of course they were impersonations. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were impersonations. We did a lot of impersonations. Well, I mean, they did get a Ringo for uh, this Powerpuff Girls special that they played a few months back. Yeah, what did you think of that? Oh, yeah, I love the art style by... Kevin Dart. Kevin Dart, right. It was, that, was, that was dramatic. Do you think that they're moving that style forward or they're returning to the contemporary, uh, the original style? I think they're, well, if they're, I know they're making a new series in 2016, so I think they're just going to go with the original style because I think maybe because it's easier to do. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, it's a wonderful initiative. I mean, did you, did you ever watch like other Cartoon Network shows or your own show on TV when it was on? No. No, no, I didn't. And that was something that uh, I've been reproached about because it, it lends to isol isolationism. Uh, I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a, a field and, and I don't watch what's going on, what's being aired. I guess it can sh it's, that shows because like courage is just its own thing. It doesn't look like anything else. Oh, yeah, I know how you feel. I know, no, it's, I agree with you because uh, now when I'm designing, I... I, I tend to have to, or I'm compelled to make it a, fit into whatever the zeitgeist is today, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I don't know, kind of limiting. But I do it. I do it. Yeah. The perfect episode of Courage, was that intended to be the series finale? finale? Oh, yeah. Well, what was the one after that? I thought the one about... His parents, the one that like the late Michael Sporn animated, did sequences on. Was that perfect? No, perfect wasn't the last. It was one of the A and the B, but there was one where we 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 see how Muriel found courage in the alley. What happened to Courage's parents? Yeah, yeah. But perfect. Also, Michael Sporn did. Uh, uh, a segment, uh, a little bit of animation in that as well. 
So they were both. So you just wanted to like show the backstory and end the series. Yeah, sure, sure. What what ed, what actually canceled Courage? Uh, Courage just uh, we fulfilled our our contractual obligation for 104 cartoons, mm-hmm. and uh, they you know Cartoon Network felt like they didn't need any more. I mean, I guess we could have done a fifth or a sixth season. I mean, that would have been great, but. We were also eager to develop a, no, a new show with them. But everything changed at that time. Linda Siminski left. A whole new management moved in. I mean, it's like the world just got turned over. It was like a waffle maker. You know, you pour the batter in, close it, but then you got to flip it over. I mean, it's like, what's going on there? Yeah, I see. <laughs> what have you been doing after Courage? Uh, living, making art, uh, traveling, uh, the same, same I've always been doing. I mean, any particular short film that you love the most? I mean, my friend really loves uh, bunny bashing. Oh, no kidding. Well, I went through a very strange period. Um, I was developing, I was in some very hot, hot uh, development with other networks that disintegrated. And ugh, that took a lot of time. You know, that takes a lot of time out of a person's life. And then I went to Spain, and I've been uh, making movies in Spain, uh, in Barcelona specifically, and experimenting, really, just doing these kind of art films, um, like Rinky Dink, for instance, and Bunny Bashing, and only because I wanted to work with mediums. Like, I didn't know anything about Flash or... So I wanted to make a film and teach myself Flash. So I made Rinky Dink. And then at the time in Barcelona, they have such a strong stop motion culture that I worked with this uh, local talent, uh, um, Lula, and she was fantastic. And she did the stop motion in Rinky Dink. And then we did Bunny Bashing. And, and then I started to write the Dirty Birdie sequel. And we started producing that in, in Spain. But uh, we got as far as the animatic. And then I think we're going to start production on that maybe later this year or in 2015. This year is the 20th anniversary of the Dirty Birdie. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, what is this Dirty Birdie Redux? Redux. Well, um, Dirty Birdie has continually, for 20 years, been screened or broadcast, either on the Internet or on cable. or something. It's an amazing short i I mean for its longevity and it's our 20th anniversary so i decided to um put back material i had cut before releasing the original one minute of never seen footage of how dirty birdie learned to express his affection Mm -hmm. and it's a flashback sequence about one minute long that we produced but then we just cut it thought the film was too long but Putting it back in has made the Dirty Birdie a whole other character. And I, I can only say that it was my own naivete at the time not to follow my instincts and leave it in it in the beginning. But we're going to have our premiere at the Woodstock Film Festival this year. And then, uh, uh, of course, an online premiere. And then it'll just play. I'll just circulate it around the world, whatever festival will have it. Is it just animatics or is it like complete? No, no, it's completely produced. Oh, completely produced. Wait, was it already? Was it always finished? And yeah, yeah, and I just cut it before we, before we released the Dirty Birdie. I just thought it was too long. 
Oh, so you had you just had the you you just been sitting on all this animation and no one ever saw it? Yeah, for twenty years. Damn! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> My co-producer William Hohauser is cutting that now, and I can't wait to see what he did. And William Hohauser is amazing. He was on Courage from the very beginning as a a, a writer, a gag man. He did he directed all the animatics from the beginning. I've been working with him. For forever, it appears. But we had one of the best moments of our lives together working on uh, bunny bashing. Mm-hmm. We were doing these two puppets, ma- aliens, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't make understandable sound. They would just vocalize sounds, and that's how they communicated. And for two days, William and I were editing those, 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 that footage, and we were... Crying, laughing, laughing, crying. I mean, we couldn't breathe. And to this moment, if we look at each other in the eye, we just mention Fettuccini, you know, the, the names of the aliens, we start to cry. I mean, these are the moments where I think are the most profound in making art or collaboration with another human being. It's these, you won't reproduce that. I mean, that just feels like the drive to find these unreal moments like laughter you know who doesn't like laughter even a good i guess a good cry is also rewarding you know you, you experience a cinema event or something and you your chest just fills with an emotion that's that's something too me and my friend just love the scene where uh where you, you get punched and you fall into the building and you just keep bouncing off the lights yeah, that's the, but that's old Warner Brothers or, or even Tex Avery. I can't remember. You know the cartoons. I know. Oh, no. You know what it was? It's from, like, uh, Uncle the Cabana. It is a Tex Avery where somebody goes down the Empire State Building. And he comes out the bottom and he's fine, you know? Oh, man, these cartoons. I mean, imagine the writers. I mean, how much fun. You know, you could see these old, these old guard animators. They, they're like 190 years old, and they're still smiling and everything. Imagine. I mean, what a lucky world. Yeah, I just love any time in, in these animations where whenever a character just, like, falls through, like, a building, and you never see the character, you just hear the sounds. Oh, sound effects. Yeah, Michael Geisler, he did all this. He does. He's done a... So much, like ninety percent of my 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 sound effects. He's brilliant. He's out of, in Los Angeles. Yeah, he, we both love the same uh, sources. And again, going back to that golden age of Hollywood cartoons, when they recorded in giant air hangars, and all the sound effects have this echo. You know, they have this space. I mean, you can tell, like. When something's old, just by, I don't know, something about how it sounds, maybe it's like some static or fuzz to it. I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So should we talk about the CGI courage thing? Oh, well, this is tremendous. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm, we're every, and every day we're waiting for some word from Turner to go ahead. They, they greenlit Powerpuff Girls. I'm hoping they green they greenlight... Fog, courage for a reboot. I really don't understand why there's there's taking so long. Do you? I don't know. I mean, for some reason they only re- 
they've they've uh, made two uh, re- not reboots um specials for Powerpuff Girls and nothing for anything else for some reason. Well, Mark Ayers uh, and Turner, he's over in Hong Kong. He's been a champion of courage, and Fog of Courage is really only because of him that we re- even made that short. And um, it's he he's a, again another champion. But whether or not the whatever is going on, you know, who knows what goes on in a network or what their their you know agendas as a corporation are. You know, it's it's he's meeting some resistance. I mean, uh, how did this how did this short got made? How did with a pencil. <laughs> it's not a pencil. That's that's CG. It starts with a pencil, man. <laughs> then it moves on to the machines. But how do you mean? I mean, of course, uh, I, I wrote wrote the script and did the storyboard. I mean, was this like a... Did you get clearance to make this short or... Clearance? What do you mean? Turner hired me. Okay, so okay, so they hired you, but they still haven't aired the... Haven't publicly aired the uh, no, short. No, and I don't know what's what I'm legally permitted to say, but um, I was I was told uh, Halloween 2014 they will air Fog, but then again I'm also told that at any moment they will let us know definitively if we're going to get a, a, a reboot order. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just would love to do more horror. Especially, I mean, the CG was tough, really tough, and that's a whole nother challenge to overcome. But I like challenges, and I don't know if Courage suffers because of it. I don't know. I think we did a really good job for all that was that we had, for all the resources available. It really does re- replicate the style of Courage really well. And that was also better close in, in Barcelona at OUO Studios. I had He was the CG producer, and um, we just had a great team. To put that together, great team. And the two-dimensional TV series Courage, like uh, it was mostly two D, but some of the monsters are in are in three D. I mean, is it possible to like get the monsters here in four D? Like, can they cross dimensions? You know, it really depends again on the flexibility of the production pipeline. You know, that we establish, if we establish it, and the resources available. Because a lot of times, I mean, what's really, what was beneficial to me uh, producing the original Courage series was that I was an independent filmmaker. I'd been, you know, I was raised in New York City making films any, any way we can with, lot, with whatever mediums we were available. And that naturally went into the series production so who knows? I mean, I don't know, but the same mentality exists. I'm always looking for integration. Uh, Eustace's voice actor is no longer around. Was that, was that really hard when... Uh... It was so bad. It was so tough. Mm-hmm. Lionel Wilson was... Uh, what, a, what a talent. What an extreme talent. Yeah, and so he passed away, and Arthur Anderson took over, trying to do... Uh, a an invitation of Lionel, which is never good, of course. Um, but he did a great job. He's another professional, another top, top talent. But for the Fog of Courage, we got Wallace Shawn uh, from The Princess Bride and other fantastic films on his own, you know, playwright as well. Yeah. And um, I think I loved him. And I, th- and I see how he could make Eustace his own. 
so if if we had a chance, I think that uh, Eustace would would he would he would stand out under Wallace Shawn, of course. I mean, if that works out. So so far, it's only premiered has this, I don't know if you can say, but it only premiered in uh, festivals this short. Right now, it's only on festivals. It's uh, only uh, touring festivals and getting great reaction. Um, and we're just waiting, waiting. And if fans, listen, if fans wanted to write, this is the time to convince Cartoon Network that they want more courage. They should write in. I mean, uh, hopefully we'll be able to post the link and where they could write and, and where they could see the, uh, the clip of fog. <laughs>